The great Baptist preacher Charles Alley Spurgeon once said this, Anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows, but only empties today of its strength. I think it would come up on the, the screen if you want it. Anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows, but only empties today of its strength. It's very easy, isn't it, to fret, to worry, to concern ourselves about what lies ahead. And with the condition of the economy, both nationally and globally, papers have been reporting that this country, our country, the country we live in, is perhaps at its most anxious in decades. But will our worry, our concern regarding that issue, and I'm sure many others, will it change anything that is to come? Will our anxiety about the possibility of maybe personal or national kind of financial downturn actually do anything except wear us out today? There may be tough times ahead. Maybe, maybe not. But as Spurgeon lovingly warns, anxiety will not change anything in the future. It will simply empty today of the strength that we have. We'll see some of that in a moment as we look at Naomi in this amazing love story of the book of Ruth. But as we look forward with the cost of living ever on the increase, job uncertainty like never before in our generation, how are you going to respond? Now, are you going to be any different to the others on your team at work when the boss comes in and says, by the end of this financial year, we're going to lose a third of you? In the tough times of life, do we struggle to cling to God and to demonstrate that he is the the rock, the, the foundation of our lives? I mean, he seems to promise everything as we look at his word. Yet, seemingly, it may seem at times that he leaves us to fend for ourselves in an increasingly uncertain and hostile world. Our life may be good right now. Uh, you, you may actually always have job security here in the future and throughout your working life. But something, something at some point will rock you, will test you. Oh, it might be illness, uh, bereavement. Uh, perhaps you feel trapped in, in some form of addiction or uh, compulsive behaviour. Perhaps you've experienced relationship breakdown or, or lack of relationship. And for a few of us, it may be children. Oh, of course, they're a joy in many of our lives, but they can also be a strain and a struggle. Whatever it is, something, I guess, will hit all of us, won't it? And at that point, how are you going to respond? I guess as a Christian, we have two choices. We can either respond with that kind of troubled anxiety, which is essentially a very natural response, isn't it? Uh, you know, to our feelings of hopelessness, our inability to change the circumstances we find ourselves in. Well, that's one response. Or we can find ourselves clinging and trusting to God's good and providential will, that control and foresight of all, all and every detail of our lives that God has today and every moment in the future. We can trust God knowing that though we may face difficult times, ultimately God will use them 
to refine us today, to make us more like his son, the Lord Jesus. But supremely, we trust God's providential will in those dark times, those difficult times in our lives. For we know there is an ultimate end to them when we meet the Lord Jesus face to face in glory. As Spurgeon put it, anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows, but only empties today of its strength. But I, I think I want to flip that round a bit. When we look at the story of Ruth in a moment, I think we'll see trusting in God's providence does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows. We're still going to go through difficult times, whatever they may look like. But trusting in God's providence keeps us strong today. Is it the remedy for anxiety? Yeah. Not, not completely, but yeah. Do you remember the story so far? I'm going to flip through the first six verses very quickly here to refresh our minds of where we've come from. The whole story has got a backdrop, hasn't it? Very, very dark times. Look back at chapter 1, verse 1. You'll see it's the days when the judges ruled. Flip back one verse, you'll see the end of Judges, the last verse there, you'll see what that kind of looks like. We're talking a time of about 1350 to about 1050 BC. And we saw from the last week, in those opening verses, that there was also famine in the land. That is the push of the story at the beginning. Because that sends Elimelech and his family out of God's place, away from God's people, and he takes them to Moab. I think we've got a picture up there, I think it should appear this week. And you'll see Moab appear. If you like the kingdom of Judah, just right of the, just east of the red portion there. Um, and you'll see Moab as the purple portion there. It's simply a 50 mile hike across some pretty uh, relentless hills. But historically, those two places, the kingdom of Judah, the kingdom of Moab, were very hostile toward one another. Elimelech, he ignores God, not trusting in God's provision. For his people, and he moves his family, Naomi and his two sons, 50 miles east, just into Moab. We know from the story that the boys they marry Moabite women. We've just heard the story. That was strictly forbidden by God back in Numbers, Numbers 25, uh, because there, there the Moabites have been a, an idolatrous people, and he kind of forbids uh, God's people to enter into marriage with them. But here is where in the story Orpah and Ruth kind of enter in. They marry Elimelech and Naomi's sons. But Elimelech dies. And the boys die. Marlon and Kilion. And so by chapter 1 verse 5 you get Naomi. She's left as a widow with two Moabite widows as daughters-in-law in a hostile place away from God's people and away from God's place. Judah, the promised land where God's greatest blessing would be known. But, verse 6, God comes to the aid of his people in the provision of food. Now, Naomi hears of this, this kindness, and she turns back to God. Literally, the word means, although it says returns home in our, in our verses, it, it literally is a, a repenting. She turns back to God. And begins to trust in his provision. So as we move on in the story. We begin now to see God's, if you like, ultimate provision. In his future providence. Both for Naomi, in the family who will provide for her. But also to us. 
in that family that he provides. For here we begin to see God's response, if you like, to our dark and difficult times. We begin to see, if you like, the antidote for anxiety and for the circumstances of our lives. Because here we begin to see God's providential hand in his ultimate provision for all of mankind. A redeemer for us all. I won't get you to turn there now, but if you turn to Matthew chapter 1 later on, just note it down if you like. Matthew chapter 1. You'll know it's a genealogy. It's just a, a list of lots of names that leads throughout of God's people, generation by generation by generation, to finally get to Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, you see this extraordinary name pop out. Ruth. An alien, at this point widowed, Moabitess, in the family line of God's son. Who would have thought that? Let's see then uh, God's kindness in this providential care for the future. In both Naomi's life, but hopefully we'll see that in ours too. Let's go to our first point. God's providence for tomorrow. Let's get back to the story if we can. Against all odds, Ruth remained with Naomi to return to Bethlehem. We'll look at that more in a moment. But look how God determines the circumstances for the future, for tomorrow, in order to bring about his will. See, Naomi, not knowing uh, whether she would have a home or food for herself in Bethlehem, urges her daughters, it's an act of kindness, go back, go back, do not come with me, verse 8. And that's a great act of kindness from Naomi, for both Orpah and Ruth would have been provided for by their old families back in Moab. We see that kindness also in verse 9, as she prays that God would demonstrate his kindness, the Hebrew words, their kesed there, and his loving kindness in the provision of a husband for both of these now widowed young women. But look at verse 13, because I think it's here that Naomi grasped an understanding of God's providence most clearly. Look at verse 13, will you? The Lord's hand has gone out against me. The Lord's hand has gone out against me. I remember being in a meeting as a very young minister down in, um, I was down in Wimbledon. Uh, it was one of my first years of being in ministry. And I remember uh, another local minister coming in and he was sharing his struggles that he had been having over a number of years that he had with a debilitating illness that meant he could do very, very little, to be honest. So utterly exhausted the whole time. And I remember him saying this, God's hand is heavy upon me now, but it is God's. And for that, I thank him. I don't know if you know, um, a good friend of our family's uh, died, uh, my family died last year. He was a well-known minister called Mark Ashton. He was a minister for many years up in Cambridge in the Round Church, which became later Stag. And he wrote a booklet in his last year of, uh, of his life as he battled with cancer. Now, I've got a cut of I managed to, again, uh, I've, I've just stolen these copies off uh, the, the, uh, the church I was at this morning, but I'll, I'll pay them if you want to pay for me later. They're only a pound. It's called On My Way to Heaven, Facing Death with Christ by Mark Ashton. And I would urge you to get a copy because what you see in that, through all the pain and the sadness that he and his family faced, he doesn't ever dismiss that it is God's hand at work. And likewise, Naomi here in verse 13 She doesn't like any of the stuff that she's had to endure in life. But she doesn't try to change her understanding 
of God. Just because times are difficult. Essentially, her theology doesn't change because of her circumstances. Now, as you read in verse 13, you know, such bitterness that you see, of course that seems quite understandable, doesn't it? But at least behind that bitterness, there is a belief in God, an assumption that something could have been different because it's under the hand of God. There's, if you like, a God-centeredness to her anguish. For God could have prevented her pain if he so willed in this situation. But bitterness, I think, here is far more preferable than what we see and hear in so many of the churches around the world and perhaps even in ourselves when we face difficulties in our lives. Or when we think God's sovereignty, in God's sovereignty, we've been helped, we've been given a dealt just a too difficult hand. Many subscribe to that kind of thinking that the, nothing means anything except what I think it means to me right now. It's kind of a, a, a nihilistic kind of way of thinking. It, it's not the Christian faith of the Bible. Basically, so often culture tells us that we should interpret our circumstances. Uh, and, and we only should believe it to be what we think it should be. But we must get God into our thinking at all circumstances, however painful they may be. We can't exclude God's providential win in our lives just when things are tough. We see, we see that in verse 14. Orpah, which apparently I read in a commentary this week, it was Oprah Winfrey's um, original name, but she didn't like it, so she switched a couple of letters around. But there we go. Orpah is persuaded by Naomi's argument. And she turns back, kisses Naomi goodbye. But let's just read, just to refresh our minds, just at the end of verse 14. But Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely. If anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Ruth stayed. Despite Naomi's persistence in saying go back. Naomi knew that she might not be able to support Ruth back in Bethlehem. Let alone herself in those circumstances. But Naomi was very transparent here. There was an honesty to her calling the, the, both the young women to go back. I suppose that there's something to learn there about that honest appraisal of the circumstances of which Naomi gives those two young women. I guess there's an honesty that is necessary in, in as we commend the Lord Jesus Christ to our friends in our evangelism. Even if only some, uh, even if some leave and only a, only a few follow the Lord Jesus as a result. See, when we speak of Christ, we must speak of his shameful death. Uh, because that is the gospel, that's the good news. We mustn't kind of romanticise the gospel, all the realities of the Christian life and the costs of the Christian life. And that's why we're going to look at this book at the weekend with the, uh, with the guys, maybe just one chapter, um, looking at the cost uh, of Christian living. It's a very famous chapter and a brilliant one at that. Um, and so I hope we look forward to that. 
But Orpah and Ruth show us that, you know, they weren't forced either way, were they? One chose to go and one chose to stay. J.C. Ryle, the author of that book, wrote in another little tract called Christ and the Two Thieves. He said about those two guilty men that stood either, um, that hung either side of Jesus on the cross. He said this, one was saved that none might despair, but only one that none might presume. Bringing that together, what we're seeing here is you've got Orpah and Ruth standing at a crossroads in life. One chose to go back to the familiarity, to the comfort of Moab, where she came from. But one, in kindness, perhaps with a glimmer of trust in the Lord here, went with Naomi to Bethlehem. See, Ruth would have known that her marriage prospects in Bethlehem were virtually nil. She's a Moabitess. But she travelled those 50 miles to Bethlehem, up and down thousands of feet of mountains. And in so doing, Ruth acted at a tiny moment in time with a kind of godlike kindness. Ruth was simply being kind and loving in a small and immediate matter. But do you see? Do you see the blessings that God brought through that small act of kindness? That small reflection of his character in Ruth. Untold blessings to Naomi, as we'll see as we go through the the story. But also blessings to us. For through that family line, there comes a saviour. Jesus Christ. Simply because she was kind, going with her mother-in-law. It sets about in God's providence a whole host of blessings for the whole world. She's not required to go with Naomi, but she did so. It's an expression of God's character, I guess, that we should exhibit as well. As Jesus says in John chapter 13, as Christ the lovers, he commands us to love one another in such a way. Similar words being used here. And Ruth does just that. It's a very seemingly small way. But she returns to Na- with Naomi to Bethlehem. Look at verse 19 with, you, with me if you can. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. Now that journey, it only 50 miles, but it, it would have taken about a week. It was a hard journey. But notice in this story how God was working to provide for Naomi in ways that Naomi wouldn't even have thought about or understood. In God's providence, despite Naomi's request that Ruth stay in Naomi, In Moab, God provided for the future, for tomorrow. And the blessings of God through Ruth for Naomi were way beyond anything that Naomi could have dreamt. But it started here, on this road, with this small act of kindness. And the providence of God working in and through that. Ruth didn't know that there would be enough food for tomorrow. Ruth didn't know that she would ever find a husband. Ruth didn't know she would ever have a child. But she showed kindness and look how God provided. Now that is not to say that God always provides in these very tangible, material ways and immediate ways. But here, Ruth did the loving and the appropriate kind thing and God worked great goods through that. 
Now, in, in Naomi returning to Bethlehem, I suppose we're reminded, as I pointed out last week, in turning to God and in returning to him, Naomi puts herself in a place of blessing. And we're reminded that we also need to do similarly. To put ourselves in a place where we know God will bless us. Now, as I mentioned, we see it here, we see it here don't we? Materially, geographically. But as Christians, with Christ as our whole world saviour and king, our blessings come through faith in him and are spiritual by nature. So how do you and I put ourselves in the place of God's blessing as Naomi did here? Well, we come to church, don't we? To encourage one another, to be fed but through God's word. We, we pray. We sing at God's praises and share the Lord's Supper together and encourage all the time to continue this uh, life for Christ. These are ways, ways in which God has initiated for us by faith to receive his blessing. And you've got to ask yourself the question, have you, haven't you? If you struggle to initiate those desires and you, and you, you have no desire to come to church, no desire to pray, no desire to sing God's praises, then you've got to ask yourself the question, do you have the very faith that you believe you may have? Are you truly a Christian? We should desire to meet with God in these blessings. And we should act towards that. In Ruth, a childless, alien widow is the person who will bring great blessing to Naomi. But in time will bring blessing to the whole world, including us, through Christ. And what we see here, I think, quite amazingly is God shows us that he chooses to work in the most surprising ways, doesn't he? Because that is the way that brings him most glory. We'll see it again and again throughout the book of Genesis uh, as we go through it in our home groups. But you couldn't write this script, could you? A childless, alien widow to be in the family line of God's son. Think about it uh, for us for a moment I mean, how often do we write ourselves off? Or on the other extreme, think of ourselves so wonderful, think of ourselves so highly that we're actually no earthly use for God because if he works through us, that he gains no glory because we're, we're basically showing off our own, our own abilities. We're not to think too highly of ourselves, but we're not to limit God either. If he can use a widowed alien called Ruth, a Moabites, well, he can use you and I, can't he, for his glory. God is faithful in his providence to provide for today and he is faithful to provide in the future. Perhaps in the practical, but always in the spiritual through faith in his son, the Lord Jesus. See, God longs to bless you and I. And one day, ultimately, will do so when he gathers us to meet him face to face in glory. At the end of the chapter, we're simply asked to trust in God's providence. Uh, I, I guess the, the last few verses are a summary of what have gone before. And we must remember, it's all about God. He's the, the primary figure and his character. And I suppose the question that we're posed at the end is very much like the question that is posed throughout the book of Job, actually. Is God really good in his sovereignty? Because sometimes it doesn't feel like it. But is God good? So let's finish. Let's just refresh ourselves of these last couple of verses, verses 19 uh, to 21, uh, just to finish. 
When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Lord Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So really practically, I guess to finish and to apply, we need to look at our trust in God's providence, the second point on our sheets. The name Naomi actually means pleasing, it means pleasant. That's, that's its kind of definition, but she said God had afflicted her. Now Naomi, what we see in here, she's understood, hasn't she? She's understood God's sovereignty, his control, but has she understood his character? Because the way she's speaking, she's questioning, is God good? She didn't, sorry, she did not doubt, uh, but she was bitter at what God had done. But more was going on in these verses. So the writer summarizes, look at it, verse 22, quite the most brilliant verse here. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Think about this for a moment. Naomi said, what did she say in verse 21? The Lord has brought her home empty. Really? Empty? Are you sure about that, Naomi? You want to ask that, don't you? Because Ruth is there, standing right next to her. And God would provide for Naomi better than she could ask or ever imagine. Sadly, no, what Naomi's done, and I guess we all do this, we set our blessings, don't we, before God. And what it, you see what her eyes were fixed on. In Naomi's mind, she's saying, God has blessed me if I've got a husband, if I've got children, and if I've got security in my home. She's fixed her blessings. The very things now that God has taken from her. And Naomi stood there. And the very blessing that God would provide was standing right next to her. And she just didn't see it. She has very good reasons, doesn't it, to complain. Her life had been quite tough. But, but thank God that he, he works in his providence, sometimes without us even knowing. To bring us blessing upon blessing, in the midst probably of all of our complaining. Naomi should have trusted God more, for he'd shown himself faithful in, in so many ways before. And maybe she's just a prefiguring, some people would say, of people like the disciples throughout the Gospels. They're really encouraging, aren't they, sometimes? Because they're the ones who just don't believe who, who Christ really is. Um, they don't trust him. They're quite slow on the uptake, aren't they? Which is comforting for us, who, who may be similar at times. And even when Christ, they betray Christ, when he's dying on a cross to save them from their sins. See, Naomi, in a sense, prefigures what the disciples were like, but also, I guess, us as well. Because in the midst of our faithless complaining sometimes, we must praise God that he doesn't deal with us, with the justice we deserve. But in his mercy, he pours out blessing upon blessing upon blessing, and ultimately, Christ. Brothers and sisters, what, what are the present evidences of God's future provision for you in your lives right now? What are they? What are the blessings that you know in your life that come from God? Well, can I encourage you? 
Remember them. Recall them. Note them down. Because it will help you, as we look in this story, to trust for the Ruth that's standing right next door to you. The one, the very thing, that will ultimately provide for you. The Lord Jesus Christ. Why do you assume that because you don't have something now that you will never have it? Why do you assume that God is kind of finished for you? Because God is faithful and he will continue to pursue you. And whatever stops you trusting in God as, as the faithful, providential giver, can I encourage you, fight against that. You might not get everything that you desire, but don't give up on God because he's never going to give up on you. Sadly, we can all too easily ignore God's goodness in the present as we, we focus more on the hardships of our lives. Can I encourage us, rather than doing that, let's focus on God's good work presently in our lives and ultimately our lives in Christ. And let's give back to him all that he deserves. Most of all, the, the sweetest praise of God that we can bring. Now that is not in some you know, big fervor meeting or whatever it may be or the latest song or the conference. The sweetest praise that we can give to God is in our trusting of him day in, day out as we give our lives to him. As Spurgeon said, anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows but only empties today of its strength. We have a choice, my friends, don't we? Anxiety about what might come, what troubles may lay ahead, or trusting in God's providential will. God has demonstrated his love and kindness to us in so many practical and tangible ways that we need not fear for today, but ultimately he has provided in his loving kindness. What? Let me remind us by reading Romans 8 first. Romans 5 verse 8 to finish. God has demonstrated his, his own love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loves us and he has been so kind. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do want to thank you so much for this beautiful story of Ruth. Thank you for the reminder that you are in control of all things. That though we are blind so often to your blessings, though we are tainted by our own desires for blessing, help us to know that in the good and the bad, those dark and light times of life, help us to trust in you and your providential will. Lord, we know, we know you long to bless us. Lord, we know that you are faithful. So help us trust for today and help us trust for tomorrow and our eternity with you. Thank you that you provided for Naomi in Ruth and in the barley harvest before her. But we want to thank you ultimately for that child born in the family line of Ruth, our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.